Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo. And uh, today I am joined by none other than... Um, w- wait, we have the Topeka Flatline on, uh, on today. <laughs> Pete, how you doing? Uh, well, I'm... Uh... I'm I'm actually dead, and this is uh, this is my personality imprinted into the remains of my laptop. But other than that, I'm doing fine. Yeah, a real ghost in the machine, if you Pete, will. Pete would be a terrific kind of Dixie Flatline analog. I have to say, <laughs> like I guess I guess I guess more of a digital than an analog. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but definitely, I can I can definitely see that. Uh, I can definitely see. Um, you know, stealing Pete's consciousness out of long-term storage with the help of uh, dude, dude, what are I, they called? I, I, the little blue bugs or something? I think, uh, <laughs> dude. What, what what's the name of those uh, video games that would have like the live-action uh, stuff? Like, like uh, was it was it Night Trap? Night Trap uh, is one. There's also like I think it was Sewer. What is it? Sewer Surfers. No, I sewer. would. Yeah, I would, yeah. There's there's yeah. a bunch of them. Sewer Shark. I think a Sewer Shark. That's it. I think. I believe. Yeah, I believe that's the one. I, I was just imagining like uh, Pete would pop up like in one of those like in a little window. It would be like <laughs> Pete's face going, "Good job, buddy. All we have to do now is you know navigate the black ice." <laughs> Um, so in any case, uh, before we get too far along into our bit, uh, we, we do want to discuss what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, none other than 1995's Johnny Mnemonic, where, you know, whereupon we meet a man that wanted to be online so badly <laughs> that he gave up his childhood <laughs> memories to be that. Um, so Johnny uh, M. M. Mnemonic. As, it's, yes. as I believe it's pronounced in the King's English. No, no, it's 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 new, as in brand new, huh? Monic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, w- featuring none other than you know Keanu Reeves in the title role. Uh, I mean, this uh, honestly, it's got a a a a lot of like the secondary cast is like really good. <laughs> it's Dolph Lundgren as the street preacher. We got uh, Dina Meyer as Jane, uh, who I did not. Um, I think I, I, I was starting to talk about this uh, offline before we started. Um, I had never read the, um, the, the, the short story. This is based on mm-hmm. William Gibson short story. Um and I did not know, like, Jane is a made-up character. <laughs> this is supposed to be Molly Williams yes, from yes. Neuromancer. Uh, and and I, I'm killing floor, damn it. I wanted the killing floor. Well, you know why it's not Molly, Molly Millions? It's because hmm. Neuromancer's film rights had already been optioned, and Molly Millions was included in that package. 
Um, uh, and so they that's could the most not interesting use, character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, so like, and, and frankly, I, I think she's much better used in Neuromancer than she is in, in the short story of Johnny Mnemonic. And I don't think that calling Jane Molly would have been like, I, I don't think it would have, you know, changed a whole mm. lot about the film. I think that the issues are, are, a different a different matter than than, than simply <laughs> oh we can't call her molly <laughs> honestly i think the problem with this film is that it was too awesome mm, an interesting <laughs> take an interesting take i think that pete has uh, the black shakes he has nerve attenuation system uh, syndrome he's been he's too online <laughs> oh no you know what it is all of them got the jab <laughs> That's what oh, the Jesus name of the Christ. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of two online. Um, so anyway, uh, I mean, this is a, a, a fairly, I feel like the, 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 the movie, you know, I could, I could give a brief synopsis. It's, it's a very simple story. And, and weirdly, the movie feels much more complicated than that. You know, like Johnny is basically uh, rents out a piece of his head, uh, <laughs> Uh, to to smuggle data right and um and basically he's been uh tasked with taking some very special data uh he's he's overloaded his um his receptors uh and of course that's the that becomes the ticking time bomb that you know within 24 hours the data seepage will kill him right and so he needs to get the uh, data out of his head pronto. I mean, the, the, the deal as with many deals uh, seems a little shady. Um, and like many deals in a cyberpunk world, I should say, uh, seems very shady, but uh, this is also feels very shady and amateurish. Um, they get attacked. He has to re- leave. And the rest of the film is basically sort of uh, running from place to place, uh, until he can sort of like extract the data. Um, also, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's, <laughs> there's a, a dolphin WMD uh, <laughs> just floating around. So there's Dolph Lundgren. There is also <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. There's, there's Dolph in and Dolph out. <laughs> yeah. Dolph, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. There's Takeshi oh. Takeshi. Henry Rollins as spider. Yep, you got some yep. KMFDM on the soundtrack. You've got God Lives Underwater, Stabbing Westerd, all all classics of, of of kind of mid '90s industrial. Um, all the all the bits and pieces that seem like this should be a good movie, and yet, <laughs> and yet, William Gibson, Bill Gibson, always has a trick up his sleeve, and in this case, it's that it's not. <laughs> I I am honestly stunned. And that you could reach 1995 and make such an 80s movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know what this felt like? This felt like, um, this felt like, uh, look, I, I am to understand that the director, Robert Longo, was displeased with kind of his ability to control the cut of the film. So I'm not going to say like, it's, it's his fault. So when I say like, they made this or it was, you know, it like the, but I criticize it. I'm just criticizing the product. I'm not saying that it's necessarily him. Cause you know, this, this film has had something of a resurgence slash afterlife, but suffice to say, it's like somebody saw total recall, didn't get it. And was sure. like, ah, that's that's kind of what I want to make, which to begin with, already not a good fit for William Gibson's type of story. Um, and also, it's clear that that 
the, whatever mechanisms went into making this film, it was it, it was not up to Verhoeven quality. It doesn't it it almost almost nothing lands like bits and pieces land a lot of there's a lot of it working in its favor, but it's just so as you say it's like a very 80s movie, but not in a good way not not in the good. Not the good stuff that we talk about with 80s movies. So I, I'd like to say one thing about Robert Longo is that he directed three music videos, and those are New Order's Bizarre Love Triangle, Megadeth's Peace Cells, and R.E.M.'s yeah. The One I Love. I mean, honestly, really three banger videos. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, not from the 80s, sure. though, right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, uh, to, to, I think we were joking around about this uh, earlier, and Pete, you you had mentioned that yeah, it felt very 80s. I I I don't disagree, uh, but it also uh, it, it's it's one of those um, one of those truisms you hear uh, you know tossed around that like the the influence of a decade isn't doesn't let go of sort of you know the culture until possibly halfway through the next decade. And here we are in 1995. <laughs> this, this must have been like the last, like the flotsam of the eighties that you find on the shore. Yeah. Well, like they shoved this one in the can and a chime sounded and they're right. All right. No more 80 shit guys. <laughs> but but you know what the big difference is um, that to me is ultimately the big flaw with this film is that it doesn't take itself seriously. It doesn't feel serious. And, and a lot of eighties stuff, even when it's being goofy at some level is like deathly serious. Mm -hmm. And this film of a lot of ways to me has the quality of watching like, like an episode of Buffy, the vampire slayer, like both in how it's <laughs> shot, how it's edited, how the lines are delivered. Like it's, it feels very ironic. And I think that, there is a way to do ironic cyberpunk like snow crash is like ironic cyberpunk. But I think that William Gibson's variety of cyberpunk really needs that air of slightly self-serious cool. And yeah. if you drop that and you're like, Oh, this is kind of a goof. It, it very quickly becomes like a much bigger goof than you were like yeah. anticipating to well, like, so uh, much of this film just feels like, like, like it's just like, Haha, ha, isn't this corny kind of sort of yeah i mean and and to 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 your point kurt let me let me uh because you know, i i do want to point out like the the type of cool that gibson and and he was a screenwriter on this so i don't know exactly whether they they went off script or this just got you know noted to death uh you know the the original script or or what have you like to to your earlier point kurt you know like if you know Longo didn't have you know right of you know like control over what the cut was, you know like Gibson you know way 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 back in the screenwriter uh, role has even less you know control over any of that. I so okay. I I want to draw a distinction here because I think I on I I agree with what you're saying, but I would also say that Gibson is an extremely ironic writer. But mm -hmm. I mean, for an analogy, it's like he he's got the grim irony of uh, of a tour guide from the Soviet Union. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He yeah. he doesn't put well, on googly eyes. I, w exactly. I was gonna. Uh, I mean, I was just gonna read from from the story itself, which is the source, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is this is actually a little bit uh, into the story, and I I just. I, I immediately highlighted it because it sounds so cool, right? Um, you know, uh, 
This is from Johnny's point of view. So it's, I'd never spent much time in Nighttown. Nobody there had anything to pay me to remember, and most of them had a lot they paid regularly to forget. Generations of sharpshooters had chipped away at the neon until the maintenance crews gave up. Even at noon, the arcs were soot black against the faintest pearl. Where do you go when the world's wealthiest criminal order is feeling for you with calm, distant fingers? Where do you hide from the Yakuza, so powerful that it owns commsats and at least three shuttles? I mean, it's... I, I, he, he sets up so, like a goofy pun, right? The idea of you know, nobody was, nobody there had anything to pay me to remember. And everyone is paying, you know, basically would be willing to pay to forget. Yeah. But it, it's sort of delivered in this way. And it, it sort of just because of the, the idea that this is a guy who is basically a smuggler for thoughts or code yeah. or whatever, right? Uh, just makes it really fun. Uh, just thinking about that. Well, well, th think of it. Think of it like like the the distance between like almost Poe faced seriousness and like dark irony and kind of like as you say like goofy googly eyes joking is not is not that big. It's really just letting on that you're overdoing it as a joke instead of that you're 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 overdoing it to to heighten something like the distance between an actual noir film the distance between Chinatown and who framed Roger Rabbit is not that is not not as big as it initially seems <laughs> right, um, right it's really just like how it's shot how lines are delivered and actually to to the point about the script i i think i don't know there was anything wrong with the script i think like if you took i don't know someone like michael mann Someone who's very like, you know, nighttime obsessed, very serious, very professional or like, like, you know, likes telling well, stories and, about troubled professionals. Loves, yeah. And, and loves like neon, you know, yeah. like neon against the night sky type of shit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see I, that. I, I think that the script could work. And the, so the backstory of how this film came to be is um, I think I think Robert Longo, I think like like already knew like William Gibson, like they were working on something. They had the rights and they were work. I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, William Gibson had the rights, but they were kind of like shopping it around, I believe. Um, and then what happened was, uh, oh, gosh, what was the big Keanu Reeves movie around this time? Um, Would it be a Point Break? It may, well, maybe no. it was Point Break. I don't remember. There was some film that that blew up where um, all of a sudden uh, Keanu Reeves was like like a much bigger deal. Um, and then on top of that, uh, people got super into like, well, we need to do some kind of like internet films. We need internet films. And so what happened was Robert Longo was trying to sell this film as like, like a low budget kind of like, like artsy, weird, you know, impressionistic film. And their agent was basically like, you're not asking for enough money. And he goes, oh, okay, well, how much should should we ask for? Like, like a hundred million? And the guy goes, no, two hundred million. You need two hundred million dollar budget. And they got it. And then they were like, well, I guess we better spend all this budget <laughs> to make a big <laughs> blockbuster film. And and as you say, like Robert Longo is not like a blockbuster film director, so I don't want to say that like it got away from him, but it it wasn't the film that you know he intended to to make. And I, I it seems like he kind of did. Like did what he could, but in doing so, I think that I don't know. It's well, he parts ended of up this film work really well. Parts of it work really, really well, and then other parts, you're like, what are they thinking? 
<laughs> he ended up making Free Jack, and that's been done. That's been done. Yeah, and Free Jack is is a perfectly cromulent film. Yeah. Um. By the I, way, oh, sorry. Go, please go ahead. Well, I, I I do want to distinguish myself from your take slightly, in that I enjoyed watching this film, but I fully acknowledge that it was it was dumb and it could have been done much better. But I mean, it, it was almost like a nostalgia vibe. We're going to bring in a bunch of actors that you love from other locations, and we're going to get them drunk, and we're going to have them say stupid things. And, and I was okay with it. The, uh, it's it's so it, it pains me to watch this though, Pete. Like like yeah, it's fun, but it's so close to working. Like it's so close to working in a way that it it almost works in a way that it completely fails to work. Like that- it's it's the sort of whiff that. You don't just whiff. You manage to like get hit in the face with the baseball. <laughs> that makes <laughs> you, more you, sense you, to me. I I think yeah, you yeah. like this movie more because or less because you respect it more. Yes. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I have very little respect for it, but enjoyed it. Well, so here's one of the things that killed me about it. Right. A lot of the action had components of it that should have been good. Right. Like the set, like the backdrops. Of of the sets look good, like the props look really good. There's some really good like gore effects, like surprisingly good at times. Mm. And then you have um the uh the I, I forget her name who plays Jane, and she she just cannot stage fight convincingly. It looks like it looks like an episode of uh like Highlander the TV series. Like it really. Like it, she's just kind of like flailing around and, and you're supposed to think that she's like fighting Dolph Lundgren. It's like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't look convincing. It's yeah. not shot convincingly. And so it immediately is like, what am I watching? Like, this is like, this is like a goof em up. <laughs> well, her, her name is Dizzy Flores. Dizzy Flores. Nothing <laughs> yeah, against yes. her. I, no, I just think that uh, it's, no, no, it that's very that's, bad. That, that's her name in Starship Troopers. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Dina, Dina Myers. Dina Myers, sister thank to you. Ste- sister I, I'm to okay Stephanie with calling her Dizzy, though. I mean, holy shit. Um, in any case, uh, so so let me let me um, perhaps take a step back here, because um, I, I think I'm, I'm very close to where Pete is on this. Uh, and, and part of that might have been sort of like, when this came out, I remember that one of the criticisms, and this is criticism from a guy, a friend of mine who, God love him, he he, you know, he was definitely himbo before himbo was a thing, <laughs> uh-huh. and I just had the most superficial takes about anything, and so uh, his his criticism of this was that. Oh, but it has Darth Vader as a dolphin or a dolphin that's like supposed to be Darth Vader. It's like, no, actually, that's sort of cool. I don't know, man. That that's that wasn't what ruined this movie. I, I don't think it's a ruined movie. I think um I do I do think that you're correct, Kurt. I I am not as well versed as as perhaps you or, or or someone like Chris is in sort of like film you know like sort of film language and all that good stuff but but honestly there's there was just something and i think you're right i think one of the things that is the problem with this movie is that it's trying to have its cake and eat it too yeah it's trying to be serious but then it's also like isn't this sort of funny and and one of the things that really just like almost made me want to turn off the movie <laughs> Was the fucking Dennis Leary style stand up? And and don't get me wrong. Yes, 
Keanu actually almost pulls it off, but you're like, wait, hold on. The only reason he doesn't pull it off is because he's not Keanu Reeves. He's supposed to be Johnny, just Johnny, yeah. the man who I, I, I made it a joke earlier, but this is absolutely correct. He decided that for him to be a data courier, they carved out his childhood memories. Yeah. So he could be, you know, so he could just do this right and and it's it's a very interesting concept right like like the idea that um and i don't i don't know if this is still like this is in the in the story itself it, i i get the feeling it isn't this is something that was added into the movie to make it sort of like more yeah know, tragic or whatever um but but it is it, it's 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 both like a weird and it's played almost with a soap opera ish um, sort of melodramatic seriousness mm-hmm. that almost works. Yeah, and I I think that it could have worked with different filmmaking. So you you mentioned like the filmmaking techniques. There's two things to, to this that jump out at me as being uh not befitting uh a, a film of this budget level. The 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 first one is a lot of stuff is frankly just shot like a TV show where it's like you mm. have a lot of kind of like. Not sloppy exactly, but like like handheld footage that that probably should have just been like like a more conventional shot. And you have a lot of mid uh like middle distance like semi close ups from from like the waist up. So for instance, you have all these shots of the low techs. Um low tax oh no no low tax um like looking down and spying on people from from, from that's, rooftops. That's, how, that's how he avoided the uh that's how he avoided everything he went to go live Jesus on a bridge Christ. um uh, anyway but 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 yeah so so i think if you had the shot like that in say like a ridley scott film or like a michael mann film it would be more of an establishing shot where you would see people kind of camped out on a rooftop and you would see the context and you would have like, you know, it would feel like a serious, you know, like an operation, like they were in danger. But the way that this is shot is shot more like you would shoot like, like a mid budget comedy or a TV show where it doesn't have an establishing shot. It's just like a shot of two guys, like from the waists up, you know, looking through binoculars and going, what, what's going on? And it, it, it feels like a joke. Like it feels like, like it's meant to be laughed at, but there's no, there's no particular joke. And I, again, I'm, I'm just, I, I think that, that that same shot shot differently would, would work and have a different, a different affect, I guess. I, I, so, I, I, now, now you got me thinking like the, the, the conversation between the, was it buddy and uh, the, the other guy and just like, but, but right before you, you get the establishing shot with the, with the uh, bridge and then suddenly we're in the scene, but you hear the, the Seinfeld bass, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so have, have you guys seen a uh, red, I'm sorry, virtual light? Yes, I, I have. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, well, you, I, yeah, yeah. You know where it takes place? Mention. Well, yeah, it's in San Francisco, but also on the on the Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Right. I mean and- it, it does it does feel like I, I, I know where you're going with this, Pete. I, I, I do I think it I think we're in agreement here, but go ahead. Well, it's it seems like when uh when uh, uh, Gibson was working on this screenplay, he had just finished Virtual Light and just like started inserting things from Virtual Light into the screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's other stuff that that get pulls it that gets pulled in from from elsewhere in Gibson's oeuvre. Like, like there's I, I don't believe there's like 
an AI in Johnny Mnemonic, this this short story. That's mm-hmm. kind of that 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 idea of like the corporate AI kind of gets plucked out of Neuromancer and kind of like yoinked in here. There's a couple other things um, that that kind of just like g- generalized William Gibson concepts that that just kind of get snagged and and tossed well- in here. Well, in in fairness, th- in in this, it's more like uh, the CEO flatline. <laughs> so you just have yeah. like a CEO just on a USB drive, and whenever you need, yeah, you know, whenever you need her, yeah, she gives you some advice. You stick her in the. Let me let me turn turn the chessboard around because I want to defend a few things in this film that uh, mm-hmm. that are are typically mm-hmm. cited as reasons that it doesn't work, and also reasons that like cyberpunk doesn't work. Or, or is goofy. The number one thing that that every hack article complaining about this movie will bring up is, oh, he only has 320 gigs in his head. That's what that's what's so much in there. Because, oh, we, we, we all know, we all know how much, you know, a lot of memory is. We all have, you know, terabyte drives now. Um, I think that that's bullshit. And it doesn't matter anymore. Because, like, this just, okay, 15 years ago, most of the people on the internet probably had like, you know, a strong idea of is a hundred gigs a lot of space and maybe it would sound funny. I think in this day and age, most people like it, it is a hundred gigs a lot. I mean, it depends in what form factor it like, is it a cheap smartphone? Then, then yes. Is it an expensive smartphone? Then no. Is it a laptop? You know, no. Is it a Chromebook? Well, then, yes, it kind of is. You know, like, I, I don't think that anybody actually cares about that shit anymore. I think that's that's like comic book guy uh, complaining and the the supposed antiquatedness of, of like the technology, I think, is not really a substantive complaint. And it doesn't matter to, to most viewers. It doesn't even matter to me. I'm and I'm a big dork. Plus, cyberpunk itself is already like. Like it's it's well ensconced as as a retro future. So if anything, I think it kind of adds to it. The other thing that that I want to to come flat out and and defend is the CGI internet stuff. I think that it rocks. No, I think it's and good, that, and I think it works. I I honestly, those were some of the most. Um, I honestly thought that they looked really dynamic and like they they. I it feels like they put. <laughs> a lot more thought into these um sort of like these action set pieces uh like the not only the the initial one where he's asking um Jane to bring him all the all the stuff you know like in, including the hardy har har the iPhones um <laughs> to put over his eyes uh mm-hmm. so so that looked really cool um in I mean, and granted, a retro way, it does feel like those, uh, like the video games I was referencing before, but I don't care. That's not really, I don't know. It just felt like, like there was stuff happening and it looked cool as shit. And then the other one where he's, uh, he, he's basically hacking his own brain. Um, that, that shit looked cool as fuck. I'm sorry, man. Like I liked the, the, Sort of like the the way that the uh, mm-hmm. they used the constraints of I guess what the CGI that they had available and made it more sort of stylized and and just really interesting to look at. Yeah, like it looks cool, and it is it is it does give you like a sense of displacement and like symbolic representation of data. Like I think it's only I think it's only feels a little bit corny potentially because we've seen. That sort of thing. Like if you've watched the TV show reboot, you know, 
it, it does kind of look like reboot <laughs> a, a, a bit, but but I I liked all that stuff. I thought it worked like per- perfectly great. Like that that idea uh, that that kind of it's not really antiquated because the internet was never like that. But it's it's kind of like it's like a sideways view and an orthogonal view of mm-hmm. what a data network would be like. I think is part of the charm of cyberpunk, and and there's no reason that it you know doesn't work here. I think. Well, it I mean it's. Fine. It, it's also um, the way that it's presented, like like when he sees the datascape, uh, uh-huh. and it's like you know, like the the different geometric figures in the distance. I mean, this is straight out of Neuromancer. Like mm-hmm. you know, when when he first describes you know jacking into the matrix. <laughs> did, <laughs> did you in. catch Did you catch what year it was? Twenty twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess he, he got that the future's plague, right? over. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it, man. COVID was just, oh, it's a 5G. Yeah. Wow, Spider was right. It's a 5G, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, 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 yeah, like, like the, the, I, I didn't have any issues with the CGI. And, and, and I think, um, the thing that, that really, uh, surprised me is, uh, just to to perhaps elaborate a little bit on what you said earlier, uh, Kurt, regarding the goriness, like that scene where um where Rafi Rafi Udo face. Kier, oh my god, Udo Kier was fucking great in this. He was having a blast, <laughs> but but he gets like basically sliced, diced, and julienned by mm-hmm. uh, uh the the Yakuza's uh, monofilament thumb, which is like honestly, it it's sort of weird, but also uh, a great. <laughs> A great weapon. I, I don't know, man. That's I just, straight from the short story, too. That's, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, I, I did see that. Um, but, but when he like basically slices and dices him, like it, it looks meaty. Like they take a, a beat to just show you meat sliding off. Like it, if it, if it, like honestly, this is like what Sylvester the cat <laughs> would have looked like, you know, <laughs> after running through the tennis oh, net, no. you know. J- J- Johnny Mnemonic tricks the street preacher into looking in- into a barrel, and it blows up in his face. So <laughs> he, he paints, looks like a he, dandelion. He you know? he he paints <laughs> digital uh, a digital uh, tunnel <laughs> on the wall, and the street preacher runs into it. Yeah, this something that this is speaking of of the monofilament thumb. Um, something that occurs to me though is so I I have to be honest, Johnny Demonic the short story is probably one of my least favorite William Gibson short stories. Like I think it's important in terms of the chronology of cyberpunk because like it's really kind of an an early run up at you know, what would ultimately become Neuromancer. Like a lot of the his, stuff, his best being the belonging kind. I'm putting that out there. I think the belonging kind is is top notch. My Favorite short stories by him are uh, Dogfight and Red Star Winter Orbit. Um, and then Belonging Kind, I, I would put third. Um, okay. I really like Red Star Winter Orbit. I think it, that's uh, with uh, Sterling, I think. Um, yeah, terrific short Sterling. story. And Dogfight's with uh, Swanwick. Yes. Um, but, I'm sorry, did you say Roger though. Sterling? It's no, Bruce I just said Sterling. Sterling. I just said Sterling. Oh, I, I thought I thought Carlos had said well, Roger. Maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I did say Roger. I, it's like Madman on the Brain, my friend. <laughs> look, look, he he made he he's the boss. Roger's the boss, and he could have made Gibson write that one for free. Okay, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but but so so 
regarding cyberpunk, I, I, I think that part of the reason I don't like Johnny Mnemonic very much is that I think it works a lot less well now that so much of the stuff in it has become like rather tired and recycled. Um, Like in particular, a lot of the stuff in Johnny Mnemonic just kind of feels like shit that you would put in literally any cyberpunk setting that you, you almost assume it exists the way that you assume ray guns exist in golden age sci-fi, right? Like, you know, monofilament, wires you know there's going to be yakuza you know somebody's going to have like a robot hand or something you know somebody's going to have like a cyborg eye you know someone's going to have you know enhanced reflexes someone's going to have knife fingers it's 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 kind of like uh it, it, retroactively it's become like a cyberpunk best of uh you know and and, and so it, it it winds up feeling a little bit tired but when i think a little bit harder about it I kind of think that this this film, to its credit, recaptures a little bit of the unpredictability of what could exist in a cyberpunk setting. Because, like, I still really like the brain storage concept and, like, the dangers of it. Like, I still think that, that that's a cool concept and the way that it's kind of operationalized within the mm-hmm. story and, and, like, as a – as, like, a job, as, like, you know, he has his whole, like, system where he puts up, like, a uh, – like a motion sensor, he's kind of got to go into this like weird trance state. They've got to load this stuff. It's it's like it's well thought through, and I, and I think it is it is genuinely off putting in a way that something like knife fingers isn't isn't especially off putting. Yeah. Now it's just like oh, it's you know, right cyberpunk. I'm reading a cyberpunk story. Well, I I, I, I feel the same way about payphones where you can fax things to people. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I think uh, also to your to your point Kurt, one of the things that um in it, it's a small detail because I think it's in the like the 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 code to unlock, you know, the cipher to unlock the the stored the stored data uh is slightly it's not really elaborated upon in the story and here it's very uh it's it's sort of an interesting elaboration on it right where it's like a randomized uh series of like you got to switch the channel three times you know and and that was an interesting uh sort of complication to the to the way that the story unfolds right um i think to your to your point uh one of the things th- if I may look at it from the other uh, direction, rather than the tired things, what are the things that other uh, cyberpunk style movies have not taken? And you know what it is? It's the cyborg fucking dolphin. That's yeah. what they didn't, they didn't well, use that. And and honestly, that's one of the more interesting things in like in the movie and in the story, uh, in the story, it's elaborated upon a little bit more, but, but in the movie, in the movie, it's basically like, I immediately said, okay, so William Gibson watched like those old seventies movies, like Dave, the dolphin or whatever. (laughs) Um, and, and heard about, you know, like the, the, the training, like the, this is actually a thing that the Navy did train or did try to train sea lions and dolphins to s- sort of seek out mines and, and stuff like that. I don't remember if it was good and it's probably, it wasn't good for them either, <laughs> for the, <laughs> the, the dolphins. Um, but I do find it really interesting that basically, yeah, like, like Jones, is basically a, a hunk of junk 
you know, like, and he's, yes. he's been, but he's also been sort of like repurposed much like, you know, like the, the central thesis of a lot of Gibson's, uh, cyberpunk stuff, which is, you know, the street finds its own uses for, for the tech. Right. Uh, and so they repurposed Jones, but for their own purpose, you know, like to, to basically be, uh, I guess he's their, he's their basic, uh, uh, jammer, uh, <laughs> encoding like their the the transmissions that they send out he's a hacker jammer basically like electronic warf he's like an electronic warfare specialist essentially like anything related to he's yeah he's living ice yeah he's living ice yeah well and i i think that this is something to, to your point about like what what didn't get carried through and picked up across cyberpunk in in general there's a um there's a type of cyberpunk that that uh Years and years ago, I coined a very like derogatory term for, which is a spatula punk, which is like, it's like, I got a spatula for a hand. I've got, you know, a Swiss army knife hand. I've got, you know, my red, my red laser eye. It's, it's like, it's reducing cyberpunk purely to like the accoutrements that somebody would have on their body. You know, look, my um, finger is actually a gun or whatever. Look, uh, Kurt, look, uh, I, I know, I know that maybe you, you're, you're not as appreciative, but if I could just get like a Leatherman hand, like the multi-tool <laughs> hand, I'd be prepared for anything. I would like a, uh, I would like a frying pan hand, nonstick. Actually, no, stainless, stainless, stainless. Um, you know what? No, 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 fucking. You don't want to deal with the cast iron, huh? Yeah, I can just yeah, see you in the shower with a cast iron <laughs> hand. <laughs> I have to reseason my hand. Sorry, I can't go out. I'm reseasoning my hand. Um, but, but, but I, I, I think. In Johnny Mnemonic, the story, there's a lot more about biological modification that that doesn't show up in the film, although it gets a little bit of reference to, um, and and I think overall hasn't really been as widely picked up throughout cyberpunk. So, for instance, in the short story, um, Ralphie is called Ralphie Face, and he's called Ralphie Face because he essentially, like... He, he seems to like have a habit of buying the faces of deceased celebrities and having them like sewn over his own face. So he's wearing the face of a like neo reggae artist called Christian White who died like 10 years earlier. And he's he's been wearing his face kind of awkwardly sewn over his own. He's got these kind of like super like super duper jacked muscle guys called called meatballs who um who he, uh gibson says like they have so many layers of like synthetic <laughs> they're, they're, muscle on top of them gra- that they're grafted from yes exactly ring. yeah like like that that they're their their profiles don't even really look human anymore um he talks about the two bodyguards who do a poo who do appear in the film and says, you know, basically like one of them has like transitioned so that they're both kind of approaching androgyny from, from different directions. I guess both of them have transitioned, I guess. Um, and are kind of like approaching androgyny from different directions, which actually feels, feels kind of, I, I wonder if that's an oblique reference to, uh, Genesis porridge from, uh, throbbing gristle. Um, since that that was one of I think I think Genesis Porridge's pronouns were Zzer. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Um, but that that was a project that uh, Genesis and their partner were working on as well. Um, around the around the time that Johnny Mnemonic was written, and I, I think that 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 sense of people people kind of 
bleeding into their function in a way. And, mm-hmm. and also, you know, I, I guess also dolphins bleeding it like their your, your function also becomes who you are. Uh, so like Johnny Mnemonic it isn't just a guy with a job. He is the job. Now he has the job as part of his body. Molly has the job as part of her body. The dolphin is fundamentally changed. Right. And I think that the film doesn't pick up on that as much. And I think cyberpunk to a greater or lesser extent has also kind of lost, lost touch with, uh, with, with that, at least the popular conception of cyberpunk. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point because uh, like I was joking about it earlier, but, but one of the sort of more, um, horrific side effects, right? That I wish that the the movie would would have taken a little bit more time to to sort of at least linger on is the idea that Johnny doesn't have was never a child in his own memories. Like he was always an adult. He was always mm-hmm. doing this job. And that's a very weird and bleak thing, right? I, I can understand why he is really antsy to finally be done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to get the, get the implant uh, extracted, uh, without killing him and, you know, rendering him like, you know, to a vegetative state or whatever. Yeah. And, and I would have liked for the people to feel smaller. In this, like, there's a bit too much heroism, I think, mm. in, in in this to really work with like the sort of story that Gibson was interested in in telling. And and this is this is why I like uh, the New Rose Hotel with uh, Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe so, so much is because their their characters, as bombastic as they are, feel so small mm. in the setting. Like mm. the whole story feels like these giant invisible things moving around them and squishing them like like little inconsequential bugs whereas this this one like J- Johnny feels too much like like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type action star right like yeah yep. yeah <laughs> Fun- fundamentally yeah. heroism is poisonous to cyberpunk like yeah. the, the whole yeah. idea is navigating the structure like a rat yes yes well, pers- uh, yes well, i mean par- part of I, I, and this is I, I feel like this is one of these um you know it's one of these Hollywood things, right? Uh, they they couldn't have because the opening scene of the of the short story just basically has Johnny setting up like rigging uh, uh, a way to smuggle two shotguns that he wants to fire at the same time at Ralphie face and put him in the in a duffel bag, right? And so, you know, like, this is like really, as you're, as you were saying, Pete, really sort of, um, sort of rats in a maze, sort of like very underhanded, sneaky way to get the upper hand on Ralphie and his meatballs. Um, and, and here to, to your point, Kurt, it is like he's, he sort of is able to, he, he approaches most of the the uh the fights that he ends up getting into like head on and it's yeah. such a weird thing when you know basically like cyberpunk you know, you you'd, you'd have been there an hour early to to scope out the place mm-hmm. and then like basically take a pot shot at at your rival you know from from a a a, a you know, line of sight alleyway or something you know uh, this is uh- one of the other things that feels very Hollywood is how much people yell stuff. Like, mm. like, 
Like Henry Rollins. Okay, Henry Rollins is known for yelling, so like I kind of get that. But th- there's a bunch of scenes where uh, J- Jane, Johnny, and Spider are all just yelling stuff like this all the time. Ah, it's <laughs> and it's it's always it feels very like arbitrary which lines they're they're yelling. And I, I get yeah, like they don't feel to Pete's point, which I thought was perfectly put. They they don't feel like like rats in a maze. They feel like you know. An action movie character. It, it, mm-hmm. it feels like an action movie character has wandered into like what what could be superficially like a Ridley Scott film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I mean it, it's 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 in all sorts of little places too. Like, uh, uh, and it, and it's only the heroes, and that's what's sort of annoying. It's like Jane. Like a, a true Jane character in a, a in a environment like that would be very likely to betray for money, mm-hmm. and you know you continually see her in situations where she she risks all for absolutely no profit. But then on the other side, you know the the villains are obviously absolutely in line with the with the. Uh, the well, with the exception of the computer program, but the rest of it, like the the rest of them, it's 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 all about cash and opportunity and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And so it's like, I, I and I feel really stupid saying this because we're talking about William Gibson, who obviously knows the boundaries of cyberpunk. Like that, this was a decision. I it it is a good point about like how much better the villains work because. Takeshi Kitano's like um is he farm he's he's part of the Yakuza, right? Not Pharmacon. Yeah. No, right? he yeah. no, he's he's well, he's Pharmacon. Is he? Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, uh, it's but- um it's the other guy, uh what what's his uh what's his name? Uh Dennis Akiyama. Uh, thumb Shinji. Dude. <laughs> Shinji, get in the thumb. Oh thank okay, oh thank you, thank you. Um so he uh Takeshi Kitano comes across as like like a very William Gibson character. He's like, he's kind of, he's kind of like sad. He's got the sense of loss. He's got the sense of like purpose and he's struggling. There's even a part where, where um, I, I think early on they say something like, like everybody feels like you're done because you've lost your sense of purpose. Like you've like, everybody knows that you, you lost your kid and you've kind of like lost your edge seems to be. Um, what the consensus is. And that I think is a very William Gibson conceit. And I- interestingly, uh, apparently the Japanese cut of this film is like, has like 10 additional minutes with him um, and like mm-hmm. developing his character further. Oh, I, w- interesting. I would love to see that. Cause I thought yeah. that his character was, was really good. And I would have liked to see a lot more of, of that character. Well, that That's funny. You say that because he, he feels um, he almost feel like I, I, I don't disagree that he, with you that, uh, that he feels like a Gibson, a very Gibson character, very, very sort of like a pulled North and South type of character, right? Uh, sort of divided loyalties, that type of thing. But, but he, he felt very, um, very much like they divided uh, Shinji and him into yeah. two different characters um, to, I guess show, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, what the point was, but if, if there were 10 more minutes of him, I would have watched them as it stands in the movie that I saw. It, it, it almost feels like he's like an, a, like a vestigial character. Yeah. 
I and think it's that, sad because I, I I would have wanted to see a little bit more. I don't know, like his struggle. I don't know something. I think so. Apparently, one of the things that angered Robert Longo the most was the addition of Dolph Lundgren. Not because of Dolph Lundgren himself, mm-hmm. but just because apparently the studio was like, "You need to have like an action star in it, so we're mm-hmm. going to get you Dolph Lundgren. Please create." And then, and then they went to him and William Gibson was like, "Please create a Dolph Lundgren type character that we can have be you know have Dolph Lundgren be." And so you you've got the issue where the the monofilament assassin is way cooler than Dolph Lundgren's character mm. but we spend all this time with Dolph Lundgren's character who's like very he feels more like a character from like Cyborg I have to say <laughs> he feels like I he mean, should be fighting Jean-Claude not I mean he is a not, cyborg like he's a fool like that's the whole like that's his entire character thing right he's he's like uh like like they call him the street preacher uh great thumbnail sketch of a character like this is like a it's solid clever. It's clever yeah it's clever yeah i think it's a solid like if you were playing a, a cyberpunk rpg that's a solid like you know a recurring villain in your in your cyberpunk uh, game but for a movie he doesn't feel very like yeah he feels very much like um like they they did uh dolph lundgren is like cyborg jason you know yes yeah. never stops it- yeah. I did like at the very end where you think he's coming back to life, oh, yeah. and then it just turns <laughs> yeah. up that they're just like he's like, like garbage, up, get him out of here with the winch. Yeah, I thought that was good. That, <laughs> that was clever, that was yeah. a good edit, and it was well done. That was that was clever. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, th- there are some 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 funny moments like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, do we have? Uh, I do we have any? Last thoughts, extra takes, uh, what have you? I don't know. Well, I, I, this isn't a, it's a, this isn't a movie you can dig deep on. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know how lot, last thought we can go, but if you're trying to decide whether you like this, um, if you're willing to en- enjoy something that you, that didn't live up to its full potential, but it's still sort of active and fun. I think it would be okay. I think this would be an excellent thing to watch high, but since I didn't do that, I'm not really sure. So I'm not saying that I did. Okay. But if, but if I had, spot. if I had, uh, it wouldn't have been improved that much. <laughs> okay. So Hypothetically. let me, let me, let me ask this. Um, and, uh, uh, what do you call it? The the black and white version. Is it is it recut or is it just simply this same movie in black and white? See, this is where I wish that we had Chris because he would he would know. Mm. William Gibson has said that there are different scenes in it, or at least different takes of of scenes. Everyone else says that it's the exact same thing, just just re like recolorized um in into a black and white version i still want to see it i didn't have a chance to get it but does somebody have his number we can wake him up (laughs) (laughs) he's probably not asleep he's probably awake (laughs) we got a we got a really important question for you chris oh my god (laughs) oh my god i thought you meant william William gibson (laughs) (laughs) well maybe i don't know uh yeah uh yeah i'd call him too man 
So yeah. Anyway, I, I, I yeah, I think I'm gonna go with uh, what you said, Pete. It, it's I, I don't think I have any super deep thoughts. Oh, I, I, you know what? I forgot to ask you, uh, ask you about this because this is also like in '95. It feels, it, it almost feels like it's, um, it's, it's very much uh, trying to hit that '80s cyberpunk feeling. The way that the the solution is is uh, like the solution to like the data that Johnny is holding in his head is actually the the clinical trials and the um, the 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 cure to the black shakes. What was it? The nerve attenuation syndrome or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, in in very sort of like a, th- it feels very much like a throwback to me uh, fashion. Um, you know, basically it's information wants to be free and, you know, you just basically, uh, transmit, uh, the, the, the information to everyone out there. And, you know, like, like Pete said, uh, uh, Ice-T's character, <laughs> um, uh, just basically, uh, advises everyone to get their VCRs ready because, you know, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> there is a funny, it, it, it is a bit funny how, so. Through the through the exigencies of filmmaking, uh, a a faction that in the short story and in their name is defined by their rejection of technology, the low techs in um, in in the film become apparently one of the most high tech groups of people in the entire story. Like uh, they seem to have a great deal of technology, I must say, for people who ostensibly have have rejected it oh yeah they're like can't stop the signal baby it's yeah like, what is happening <laughs> I here thought you were the low tech. <laughs> <laughs> look uh they, they they had tried to get the word out uh via you know pigeons but it wasn't mm-hmm. happening so, so my yeah yes uh steganography on on pigeons is just like <laughs> you give smaller messages to the louses that live on the pigeons, I guess. Um, what what you, this- you, in, you encode it in their DNA <laughs> in the in the DNA of uh, mosquitoes that then bite them and feed. Anyway, um, what what this film really demonstrates to me is that more than anything, cy- cyberpunk is not really about the concepts or the plot points so much as it is like it's it's some of those things, but it much more so it depends upon a certain vibe um, be- because like the bullet points of this are very much the bullet points of the story. Like the changes aren't so wildly divergent that you couldn't tell essentially the same story or that, you know, it, like it's it's significant. There's parts that are omitted. I don't. I don't remember if they mentioned that, you know, the dolphin is addicted to heroin. Um, in, yeah, in the I didn't film. catch that in this. Yeah, I think they took that out. There's a couple other things. But to, to me, it really it's it's a demonstration that it's it's not the what of cyberpunk. It's like the how of cyberpunk. And this does the what, but without the how. And and it makes me realize that like that there's so, so much of that, that just vibe. And it's it's a difficult vibe to capture. And I think that G- Gibson is exemplary at capturing it in writing um and i think it's a tough trick to to pull off in in film one film that i will say is not a cyberpunk film but really pulls it off is uh the 1989 ridley scott film black rain black rain Uh, i was thinking about that one just today kurt honestly that that we should probably just do it as a i don't know we we could still do it 
Cyberpunk yeah, adjacent. It, it's Fuck so it. it's so cool because it's it's basically if if anyone hasn't seen it, which I assume most people haven't seen it, um, it's it's like a it's one of those those kind of like eighties style East meets West crime dramas. Um, but it's made by Ridley Scott, and he had, he basically seems to have come off of Blade Runner. I think he kept the same the same cinematographer, and he just directs this you know crime film in modern Tokyo as if he's directing Blade Runner. Basically, it's oh, that's shot cool. like Blade Runner. It looks so fucking cool. Um, it's it's and it's it it feels to me like a William Gibson story. Um, it's very cool. Yeah, yeah I w- I was actually gonna gonna. Uh, uh, pitch an author in a book, but uh, it would What's be that? an attempt. No. To, Tell me. Uh, well, it's just going to make me sound like a little bitch. But <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say March Piercy's Women at the Edge of Time, but that would be specific. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, Pete! Pete's just really, really bitter that uh, yeah, he, he tried to get me to read it, and and I would have done it. Except that I never put it on the reading list for Podside. So um, I, I did uh, talk to uh, Raquel S. Benedict, the most dangerous woman in speculative fiction. Uh, for right good, I, I discussed Marge Piercy's Woman at, at the Edge of Time. This is a, an embedded plug of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's like people should listen. It's going to be great. And to be fair, you generously offered to read her other sci-fi book, He, She, and It, until I mentioned the page numbers. <laughs> yes. uh, sa- sadly, um, this, this is something that uh, Podside uh, wants to continue. We, we are firmly anti-doorstopper. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I am firmly anti-doorstopper. I, I am firmly anti-doorstopper episodes. Like I, I'm going to read some doorstoppers, but I'm, okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to push the audience to read. Them. Okay, Pete, you can go read uh, the latest Brandon Sanderson and uh, be happy with the doorstopper. Uh, no, there's, there's a, there's another problem there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Was there oh, discourse yeah. about this? <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, we're, we're getting, we're getting off topic here. Um, I go ahead. I, I had a stupid book that occurred to me. That that isn't it's really not a good fit, but it, it would be a funny way to to trick Connor into coming back on the show, which is to do uh, the uh, Haruki Murakami novel Hard Boiled Wonderland and and the End of the World, which is very ha- has a v- a lot of similar concepts uh, to to Johnny Mnemonic in that it is it is essentially about a guy who has had his brain modified to be able to kind of like process vast amounts of information he's called like a calcutech i believe um and he you know he he gets hired by companies to go and like process this this data um and what basically winds up happening is he's he's given a job to process and carry this data and it winds up kind of like breaking his brain um and he he's like slowly dying from his his brain kind of like like i don't know like consuming itself as a result of of having run bad data uh through it and it's not quite it's not quite cyberpunk but it's so close to cyberpunk as to be almost indistinguishable from it Mm. Well, I'm feeling sort of bad uh, about being snarky at Carlo, and rather than make amends, I'm going to even <laughs> it out and be snarky at Kurt. 
Oh, like, no. Hey, <laughs> hey, Kurt, my pitch is how about we each read a book proposed by the other person and do an episode on each? Okay, what what book might that be? Well, (laughs) (laughs) how about the cuckoo's egg? Since we both like a book by that name. Oh yeah, what's that about? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) bird watching. That that doesn't seem very genre, Pete. (laughs) Pete, I'll do it. I'll do it because you're my buddy, and I will actually start it. As soon as I finish reading The Shadow People, which I know okay. that I need uh, to finish before Wednesday. <laughs> well, and it'll allow us to check that CJ Sherry box, which I think is worth doing. Yes. Also, uh, one one last thing. Uh, one of the things that, that as I was reading the the story and watching the, the, the movie and whatnot, um, there is something recent. Uh, that that I, I'd forgotten to tie this in when I was talking about like you know like how uh, Johnny is is always been doing this job in his memory right uh, and and something that uh, sort of intersects with that uh, that is recent is the show Severance, which is very odd but also very cool. And uh, hopefully we're going to be doing something about <laughs> about the Apple TV shows at some point. We already did. Uh, was it prehistoric? Uh, well, Jesus Christ, the Die November one, uh, whatever the one in uh, Die November was, the Walking with Dinosaurs one. Anyway, prehistoric planet. That's the one. Mm. Anyway, um, so I guess that is it. Gents, thanks for joining me in talking about Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, and <laughs> that's that's a uh, also a, a Pete original. I got to hand it to you, Pete. You're right. Yep. How do you how do you spell that? Right. I mean, the idea that you're trying to make a blockbuster and there's a a, a, a word a in the title. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, I mean, they just couldn't just call him like Johnny Remembro or something. Yeah. <laughs> that Johnny, sound, that Johnny sound, oh, and you know what? That would have been that would have been like <laughs> right. I mean, Johnny Remembro is basically like a Silver Age. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that's like an Alan Moore character. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, um, thanks for for watching this. Uh, And everyone out there, thanks for listening to us talk about this. We'll catch you next time here on Podside. Now he creeps, bugs and freaks. I talk about virus from.